Hello, and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable, because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. Or maybe take me out for a walk. I know I need to get out of the house. Take me with you. Just please be safe and wear your mask. Hey, here's an idea. Take me with you when you go drop off your ballot to vote. I'd love to be part of that important moment for you. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors and established producers, authors, and writers. We banked all the episodes, which also makes the series a time capsule of events that occurred throughout an historic summer. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handles on Twitter and Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and Patreon. We've got some special items up on our Patreon right now. We've uploaded a few additional minutes from my interview with movie star Chris Pine from back in April of this year. Pine reflected on the pause the movie industry was about to take with the U.S. starting to shut down businesses and life as we knew it. He also talks about shooting a pandemic movie early in his career called Carriers. And for all you Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, we've also uploaded 20 additional minutes from my interview with Melissa Fumero. We talk about some of our memories from college, our favorite acting teachers. Melissa also talks about giving birth to her second son right at the beginning of a global pandemic. You can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. Here comes the rate and subscribe part. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Hey, Apple Podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts cats? Hey, Breaker brethren and sistren. Salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google Podcasters. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. And by the way, we're thrilled to be sponsored for this limited series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. Today's first guest is Sarah Paxton. She's an Emmy-nominated actor and movie star who starred in the fan-favorite tween fantasy romance comedy, Aquamarine. She talks about her audition process for that film and what it was like shooting half a movie in the water in A Mermaid Tale. She also talks about her great experience working with Hugh Jackman in the Jason Reitman film, The Frontrunner. Her episode of MTV's Cribs, losing a daytime Emmy to Elmo, and her work on the upcoming Andrew Dominic film Blonde about Marilyn Monroe. It's a super fun chat. Sarah is a delightful person. I'll be speaking with her in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Dahlia Malik. She's an internationally celebrated comic whose comedy has appeared in USA Today, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Paste, Hoo Ha Ha, and Funny or Die. She's also appeared at SF Sketchfest in consecutive years 2018, 2019, and 2020, and multiple Edinburgh Fringe comedy festivals. She also performed at the inaugural Cairo Comedy Festival in 2019, the first ever comedy festival in Egypt. She talks about starting her comedy career while simultaneously finishing her Ph.D. in human rights law. As a human rights legal advocate, international human rights and refugee law expert, she's also been interviewed in New York Magazine, The Washington Post, and Teen Vogue. It's a truly funny and enlightening conversation. Stick around, you're not going to want to miss it. 
Joining me again today is my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. Hey, can they really say that that's the first comedy festival in Egypt? I mean, she can say it. She knows what she's talking about. Okay, but we just talked about how she's this like trustworthy resource. Yeah. I'm just saying, one of, one of history's oldest civilizations, one of humanity's uh, first true civilizations. Yeah. For sure there was a comedy festival. Uh, you think there were because, people doing comedy for the Pharaoh? I don't know, man. You're telling me That's wait, a tough no, that's a tough crowd. You don't I believe comedy is like inherent to the human condition. Sure. So I think people are doing bits. If there are people, they're doing some bits. <laughs> so my thing is there, especially in that world, you're telling me there wasn't like there wasn't I'm not telling you doing listen, some riffs. I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> I'm just Y'all know how big they want these pyramids to be? y'all know <laughs> crazy big that's the that's the <laughs> i wish i could go back in time and watch that show um i think it'd be a good one so we've been very lucky we've gotten some nice uh write-ups for our series so far um yeah yeah it's going great we were written up I'm in the hollywood good. reporter indie wire and in the independent for our first Ooh. episode with chris pine it led to a small uh-huh. viral moment we i was like contacted by friends who were saying that we were popping up on their yahoo homepages and or as ads very in cool. their facebook feeds that's the dream yeah, That's the dream is to pop up in an ad in a Facebook, in a Facebook feed. feed. And then this week we got written up again in New York Magazine's Vulture for our episode with Melissa Fumero and David Langell. I think that's that's pretty good so far. Yeah, no, I'm happy about it. I'm very happy about it. Hopefully we get a few more moments here. But anyway, we've been thrilled. We've no, been very good. lucky. We're very happy. Um, we're so, our, our text thread is so, so joyous. It really has been. So I talked, I talked with uh, Sarah Paxton. Um, mm-hmm. I talked with Sarah Paxton about auditioning for horror films. She's appeared in The Last House on the Left, amongst others. Um, what are some of your uh, favorite horror movies? Tis, tis the season. So I've watched like a bunch of the classics. I've seen like The Exorcist and Jacob's Ladder. And, I've seen Jacob's uh, Ladder. The Blair Love Witch. And, yeah. You know, um, but then I also, but then I'll miss ones. Like I won't see a horror movie for like five years. And then I'll be like, oh, I really do like being scared. So like, but my favorite is a movie called Record. I think it's my favorite scary movie. Oh, was that uh, like more recent? How long ago was that? It's, it's, uh, it's in the more, it's probably like, I'm trying to think, probably 2007, maybe six. Uh, it's Spanish. It's from Spain. Uh, it is. It was remade as a movie called Quarantine in the states, but Record is great. Quarantine's not great. Uh, it's found footage. It's got zombies. It's like kind of. It's kind of a bottle episode. Like it takes place all in one building. Uh, cool. And Scary. It's, great. it's like a news camera. A camera crew goes following a, a set of firefighters uh, for a night in Madrid, or I think they're maybe. I think they're in Madrid, and then. Uh, they go on a call and everything goes crazy. That uh, sounds good. It's, it's great. I, I, it's I'll, very cool. I, I should yeah. check out the original. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember thinking also, like uh, Event Horizon, I think, was like my the scariest ooh, movie that I've... I feel like that's one of the up. scariest I've ever seen. There was just a little viral thing around that movie uh, in that uh, I believe in the... In that movie, Sam Neill has the Australian flag on his sleeve. Oh, that's sleeve. right. Yeah. And that flag, he had replaced the 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 Union Jack with the Aboriginal flag. Right. Because he assumed that that would have happened by the time that movie was filmed. That's cool. Uh, 
which was cool. Yeah. So Event Horizon is your scary is your favorite scary movie. Event Horizon is my favorite scary movie. Um, certainly the the scariest one to me. Um, I like. Uh, oh God, what is the one? It is scary because they go to hell. That ship comes from hell. That's yeah. pretty wild. It sure is. I, what is the um, <clears throat> what's the one with, that starts with? Oh, the Babadook is pretty damn good. I haven't seen that yet. See, the, see what I'm saying is I've seen like a bunch of the classics, and I've seen some great ones, but then I haven't seen like the Babadook. Yeah. The Babadook is great. It feels like The Shining, which is another one of my favorite scary movies. It just ha- it, like it holds tension really well. Um, mm-hmm. It's got some it's got some good jumps in it. Um, I will also say that I think for what it was, I think Paranormal Activity doesn't get enough credit uh, for being as great as it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to say that. It's a good, I think it's if good. I remember back to movies that really horrified me in the theater because I think I saw that I was living in Florida and I saw that one alone in during the day, but like alone, there were like three people in the theater and there is a Pavlovian response when, when it cuts to that, you know, like it's doing the time lapse overnight. It's like, yeah, like you're like, Oh no, I'm ready. Everything's Oh no. Yeah. I'm so scared. It's great. Well, and I also think that the, the thing that those movies did really well was they, they nailed a particular audience. Like for, for folks who do have children, um, mm. you, you, all of a sudden you have those, um, the baby, the little d- device of the baby monitor is a wonderful device for horror movies, because basically what you do is in the baby's room, you have a sound machine going a noise machine and sometimes it cuts out. So it makes like this amazing crackly kind of sound. And the, and the screen on the baby monitor is typically it's in uh it's monochromatic and, uh, kind of uh, snowy, so it it like mm-hmm. to to zero in on that to to target the kind of anxiety that a parent has once they have this child in their house because when you do bring a kid home for the first time it feels like there's an alien in your house for the first mm. few weeks it just is okay. weird so like I w- watching those uh, back as a parent now um, there's something incredibly. Uh, at the core of, of, I think, a parent's anxiety. Not that their babies are trying to kill them, but it takes mm-hmm. the idea of the anxiety of being a parent and it and it and it puts it into this uh, like place of of real dread, uh, particularly at nighttime when everything is scarier. Yeah. Do you get scared at night? The scary season. I don't love. I will get freaked out occasionally um, in the nighttime. I will get like really. Uh, I mean, I, who does? Who loves like who loves the night? You know, Batman. Um, I'll get spooked. I'll let myself. Yeah, Batman does. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I'll let myself get spooked, and I do get like a little. But then I remember, like at night, I'll be walking home from like like I live in a. We have a parking garage across the street from my apartment, and I'll be like walking out, and I'm like, oh, who's gonna get me? And I'm like, I am six <laughs> foot one, <laughs> like near three hundred pounds. I'm a big old boy. <laughs> no, people are scared of you. You are the the fear right now i think the thing about uh, being in bed at night is that you're in that vulnerable position on your back oh you know? very much oh yeah if something no, if something was about to happen you gotta you know you gotta be out of bed you're in your underwear it's not it's not a great yeah. situation to be in yeah all right folks <laughs> as always you've been very patient with us without further ado here now is the hugely talented and charming sarah paxton Ba 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 
so let's talk about Aquamarine for a second, because I know this is, you know, this is a role that people adore you for. And I did watch this movie. Um, you did? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. When? Like, I did it before talking to you. I threw it on with my <laughs> four-year-old, and he loved it. And Aww, and we so watched sweet. it. Yeah, it was great. And you are great in it. Um, oh, so thank you. it's yourself, and it's Emma Roberts, and and singer JoJo, who I did not mm-hmm. uh, realize was um of now I guess a very well-known pop star onto mm-hmm. uh, in her own right. Um, it, this made you a movie star. Was that a jarring experience to become so known and associated with a single role? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, it it didn't feel. Was it? Is it been mostly good? It's been good. I mean, it. I didn't feel like you know. You hear stories about like Leonardo DiCaprio being mobbed after Titanic, and he couldn't even like go anywhere, and like people were ripping his clothes off. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, I would like. I had I had an amazing experience. It was I mean filming that movie was like one of the best experiences of my life, and I feel so that's great. You know, like yeah, I'm so grateful. What other seventeen year old gets to like fly to Australia, make all these new friends, like have this wonderful experience? You know, experience. Hmm. Um, it was great, and then I came back, and you know, occasionally um, girls would. Uh, you know, come up to me at the mall and be really excited. And that yeah. was really it. Just, you know, it was nice. It was nice for people, girls my age and younger, just being like, we love the movie. And it felt, it felt pretty sweet. And, and, uh, and it wasn't, it didn't feel really jarring at all. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. So now wait, yeah. why, why Australia? Why? I mean, this is a movie from, from what I can tell, I mean, you could have shot this in, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in California like all you needed was some beach right a, a beach town somewhere yeah. why Australia I don't know I think at the time a lot of things were being shot in Australia Warner Brothers has like a big lot down there um big soundstage lot and um I do remember that originally the script called for the three of us swimming at the Great Barrier Reef. We were actually going to film that, like underwater, wow. like the two two girls in scuba gear and me, like in the tail swimming at the Great Barrier Reef, and that sounded amazing. It ended up not being safe, I think, so mm. it didn't didn't make it. Maybe that's why I'm not really sure. Um, but it was great. I mean. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, why not I go to, to Australia? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I got to live there for like four months. Um, it's interesting because I, in order to get cast in the movie, they they made me get my GED because I would have to be worked the hours of an adult. Right. Um, so I filmed all the hours, you know, I filmed adult hours. Oh, and interesting. Oh, so this you, was like a way, this was like a workaround so that they could work yeah. you the amount of hours they wanted to work you? Oh my gosh. Yeah, they had to, I had to film adult hours because the amount of time and prosthetics to get in and out would have, because I think, I think, you know, when you're a kid, uh, I, I don't really know the exact math on it, but as a teenager, you can only work like 10 hours. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And you, yeah, and you have to have a certain amount of schooling in between the day, like in in the middle of the day and before and blah blah blah. So I, there just wasn't enough hours in the day to do prosthetics, shoot, and, and fit in school. So I was teaching myself, like I was still in regular high school. So I was like emailing with all my teachers and trying to teach myself chemistry, like on Saturdays. 
amazing. That's that's <laughs> that's a lot to be doing. Yeah. Were you good at chemistry? I was so bad at chemistry. I you know, um I was pretty good actually. I mean, I got an A, so I guess that was good. Oh my um, gosh. Oh, you're but... smart. You're so much smarter than I am. <laughs> No, no. I mean, don't ask me about math. I could not. I could never. I could never do math. I can't do math. Okay. I can't do math. Everything would. Everything would be great except for that. Um, but which, which is why could I? Why was I good at chemistry then? I don't know. Well, I was gonna but, ask, but then I thought, well, like I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe I didn't understand chemistry so much that I thought it was all about <laughs> math, and I got it completely wrong. No, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's that was sort of my my schedule on that. But. So you were. So now you're in this tail mermaid outfit how what was that i mean like because you're i often think about acting like or or when you're shooting on it when you're doing a show of any kind movie or 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 tv series and you're you're in prosthetics for hours and hours there's this question that comes up about like comfort and like how cold is it to do the shoot like you're in the water for this movie a lot like how cold was it or or Um, physically uncomfortable to be in this in this suit for that amount of time I mean, it was pretty on getting into it meant like, you know, I'm 16 and I'm buck naked, like laying on the table and they're putting the thing on me and it would take like four hours to get in and a couple hours to get out. Oh my gosh. That's a lot to to put on a 16 year old. Yeah, yeah, and like you know the the um what am I trying to say? Like the line where the suit like where I go into it is like really low, like crotch low. So there's like people very close to my crotch, like women and super respectful and nothing, you know, nothing weird happened at all. I always felt safe. Just like yeah. what teenager isn't like super self-conscious and like weird out oh by like God. anyone just, just even looking at them fully clothed. You right. know what I mean? If anybody even looked at me, I'd be like, Oh, don't, don't look at me. So to be like <laughs> laying on this table and, you know, my character is supposed to be topless with hair, like covering my nipples because I was a child. They put this like prosthetic, like latex fake boob over my real boob. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> so that I had like no nipples. So if my hair moved or whatever, it wouldn't like wouldn't expose be a problem. me. So yeah. I still felt like pretty exposed though. Um, still felt pretty exposed but other than that oh and i couldn't go to the bathroom so i would just like pee on myself in the tail i remember i like (laughs) really oh my god i'm so sorry i I, like swam up to like the prosthetics team like in the middle of filming and i was like i really have have to go to the bathroom like what do i do and they're like "Mm, just go mate just go and I was like, what? And they were like, just swim in the corner and do it. And I was like, no, oh everyone's God. looking at me. And I like swam in the corner and everyone's like eyeballing me, like whispering. I'm like, they know I'm oh my God. right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nightmare. Yeah. A... yeah, so I'm just like peeing on myself. The, the <laughs> indignity. I know, yeah. But it was so it was so much fun. It was worth it. But just to be a teenager, you know, everything makes you so self-conscious. Yeah. Um, yeah um so what was the so i'm curious what was the audition process for that role that to me it feels like one of those roles that maybe they did like a national search for for the right person was that the situation or was it different um i think so i mean i don't really i remember when i went in i think 
Jessica Simpson had just dropped out or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went in and yeah, it was, you know, like a several multi-day process, many auditions. Um, Actually, I think my audition is on YouTube, which is so embarrassing. Um, Is it embarrassing? Or shall we, should we show that to the, to our audience? Should we find it? it? Yeah, you watch it. Yeah, I think that that day I was going in for like, I, I read for the audition and I guess they liked me and they brought me back to read with the director, Elizabeth Allen, and the producer, Susan Carsonis. And, and I, I think that day, like something really embarrassing had happened to me at school. I was in high school. I was in 10th grade. And I was like walking past this boy that I had a crush on. I was obsessed with him. And I tripped on my flip flop or some shit and like ate it. And he like laughed at me. And then I went to the audition. So like my ego was bruised and they were like, how was your day today? And I think I started crying and I was like, this boy that I'm I'm in love with. Oh my God. Saw me fall. It hurt so, and I started crying and, and they were like, I guess they really liked that. Cause after that they gave me the part. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's really funny. Um, yeah. The, uh, now you said earlier you were talking about the female crew on the set. I think I read that it was a mostly female crew or, or it was, is that, yeah, is that right? So, well, yeah, female director, mostly female cast. I remember there being a lot of female crew members. Um, I remember thinking like, wow, this is the most like women I've ever worked with on one project, which was Mm. awesome. You know, that's great. What was the, can you describe like the, what that, felt like as compared to other sets where where maybe there it's majority men or or just certainly not majority women right um well i mean not listen i've definitely had some i've been lucky and that like i've never had an experience that's been truly you know terrible like nothing really bad ever happened to me which is that's you know, good. I'm, I'm very thankful for, and especially like being a child actor, you hear so many things, and so I'm lucky right, that I had. Right. I'm lucky that I had parents that were just like eyes on me, like 24/7, making sure nothing bad ever happened to me. Um, but you know, there have been some eh, some like dicey situations where things were said that were disrespectful or whatever mm-hmm. um so it's i guess the difference is like working with all women like i just don't i know that's not gonna i just feel you just feel totally like safe yeah um you know i don't even think it's something like that consciously it's not something you're conscious of it, it's but i i don't need to worry like ooh, is this guy about to like say something that's very that i have to like giggle and be like haha <laughs> right. i'm totally okay with that um, because I'm 19 and have no idea how to react to, you know, these kinds of comments. Um, yeah. but he's just like more relaxed and, um, yeah, it just felt like fun and open and safe and, you know, it just was nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, on the one hand, it's like, if anyone's being an asshole, then the tendency then is for people, I think, to shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you shut down, particularly when you're trying to do something creative, it's it's really not a good situation because you then you don't feel you don't take you don't have as much fun, like coming up with ideas for the. You're so right. Yeah. I've definitely had situations where I don't know, like I look back and I'm like, uh, was I was I the um, like, was I being a baby? 
So I think a baby in that situation where like maybe it wasn't as like friendly or open of a set and you, and you're yeah, right like yeah you know you're right like if I mean I I'm sure you can relate to this but like if you're on a set where like everyone's cool and everyone's nice and it's and and you know everyone is you can trust people and and um, you feel like they're mm. really your friend you just kind of feel more open and ready to like act and like do this do this thing and yeah. you do feel kind of closed off i mean i i i did a movie called the last house on the left which is right. um yeah a horror movie and i had that was a really tough shoot but an amazing shoot because we all became so close and i and and i i'm so glad that happened because i had to do some like pretty emotionally difficult things in that movie and I just couldn't have done it if, if everybody wasn't so open and kind and, um, you know, I, I just, the trust, you need trust. Yeah. You need trust is, I guess. You do. The one. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I've, that word has come up now on this, uh, in this series a few times and it, it really does seem, I mean, acting to, to begin with is such a bizarre and weird thing that we do. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think it's like for, for people who are outside of this business, when they think like being an actor, it's like, we'll just be a person. Um, but of yeah. course it's, but it's, uh, it's so much more complicated than that. Um, because to fully be a, a, a person that's not you requires understand, like having a real understanding of like what that feels like for somebody completely different from you from, from moment to moment with a completely different yeah. history. And even if you are playing a character that's very close to who you are, then you're still being required to give a lot of vulnerable stuff that's your own feelings um mm -hmm. it's our bodies up there um doing it yeah you're so right you have to it's like you have to simultaneously have like the thickest skin but mm -hmm. be so vulnerable and like ready to like rip yourself open at any moment and it's that's a really difficult balance i think yeah now you've won You've won two Young Artist Awards. You also received a Daytime Emmy nomination for your work on the Discovery series, Darcy's Wild Life. Yeah, I did. I lost to Elmo. And, you know, if you have to lose a Daytime Emmy to someone, um, <laughs> it might as well be Elmo. It might as well be Elmo. Um, yeah. It was just super creepy because I'm, like, at the ceremony. I'm really excited. And, like, you're like, how the fuck is Elmo going to accept the award? And, you know, the actor that plays Elmo, like, walks up and then squats behind the podium and pretends to be Elmo. And, you know, the magic was ruined a little bit. But if, if, if Elmo deserves it. Okay? Elmo deserves it. You're, so, you're so bitter about a Muppet. <laughs> it's so funny. Fuck that guy. Um, Fuck Elmo. <laughs> do you remember what was that like getting that call though like you're nominated for an Emmy or was it know. an email I think I don't even I think it was a phone call I think I was excited I don't yeah. again like I was I think when you're young like you're just kind of like I was just kind of going with the flow I wasn't like holy shit like I am amazing I was just like oh that's cool yeah let's go to the let's go to the daytime Emmys and now I'm like, wow, that was a really big accomplishment. Like, good for you. Why didn't yeah. you take that in a little more? Um, but I think that's just being, what was I? I think I was 17 or 18. I was just like, oh, cool. Wow. Look, there's Elmo. Elmo beat me, whatever. Um, <laughs> I also am obsessed with the Muppets. So I respected it. I respected yeah. it. Because yeah. I'm only an actor because of the Muppets. Like, Oh, is that really, right? I, 
Oh, yes, because of Fraggle Rock. I wanted to be a Fraggle, and that was my goal. I think I accomplished it. Um. <laughs> Good for you. I, I feel, I'm happy for you. And I think you're going to, by the way, I think you're going to have that opportunity to be nominated for an Emmy again and other awards. <laughs> I think you'll, I think you'll get your, your, your cathartic moments oh, thank you. with those nominations. What if I get wins. up there and I'm just like, is Elmo here? Like, fuck that. I think you got <laughs> it. You've got to tell everybody that you lost to Elmo. I think that's, that's a winner of a speech. Um, it's like mic drop. <laughs> you also did an episode of MTV's Cribs um, oh all the way back in 2007. Sorry to look that up, but I was curious. You know I mean, how I said earlier about those moments when you're driving and you just go, ah, and because you remember yeah. something embarrassing of your life. Yeah, mine's, mine's MTV, Chris. It's, so. it's not that at all, but it is the show. It is what the show was. Um, I think that. Are you kidding me? I wish my episode was the show. I think my episode of Cribs was the lamest episode of Cribs that ever happened, that ever was in. Have you seen it? Oh, my God. No, I watched it. it. I did watch it. No. I was. <laughs> I didn't even know what to talk about. I didn't even. They, I was like, "What do you mean they're gonna come here? Like yeah. in our home? Like yeah. what did I show them? I showed them my bottle of Cholula." Yeah, like, that's great. And... That was a great moment. You also showed them a battery that was in your freezer. Oh my god! Which it's I thought was very adorable. that was real as shit and really charming. <laughs> I was just like. Hope you guys enjoy my non mansion, like with my stuffed animal collection as I'm 17 years old. Like, oh gosh. Now, you did, <laughs> after the teen movies, you did a number of horror movies. You talked about The Last House on the Left, which was a very famous remake. And then you also did a movie called yeah. The Innkeepers, amongst others. Um, you talked about having fun on horror films, but you've also talked, I heard, about not being like good at screaming or running or things that yeah, you yeah. would need to be good at you in your, your your perspective in these horror films like how do you I would I completely understand that I think I would be bad <laughs> too although I probably would be great um <laughs> to be No I <laughs> yeah I I literally can't scream and I don't advertise that when I'm auditioning for horror films for obvious you know I'm not going to be like hey I can't do this thing that's necessary to win this role. But when I get to set and it's like, okay, you're going to run. You're going to jump over the fence. You're going to trip. You're going to hit your hand and be like, oh no, help me. And then just blood curling scream and action. I'm like, well, I, okay, here's the thing. Um, I can't, I can't scream. And they're like, just try, like, just, just let it rip, let it rip. Do what you can. I'm like, okay. And I, I really sound like a Muppet when I'm screaming. Like, I, <laughs> I, I think they've had to like dub a scream over me before because I just can't do that oh, piercing funny. scream. I'm just like, Aah! yeah, it just comes out like, Aah! yeah. Uh, I can see the I can um, see the Kermit the Frog arms waving in the air. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Kermit. It's 100% Kermit the Frog. Actually, when I was doing um, the Innkeepers, the director Ty West just started calling me, just calling it like the Costanza. Like, whatever, like, weird, awkward shit I was doing, he'd like, okay, and then go over there, stand there, don't pull a Costanza, just, like, try and be, like, any, like, non-Costanza just is good for this part. Then over there, then you can be Costanza, let it rip. And I'm like, okay, got it, like, so don't be myself over there. Oh, just my God. Act cool. 
What is that like going in for those auditions? Because I find those to be some of the hardest where it's like, because you're trying and we've talked with some of the other folks on here. We've talked a little bit about that thing of like, you want to be present in the room. You don't want to be still kind of like busy running your lines. You want to be able to say like, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Thanks for, you know, great, great. Thanks for having me in. And then you go into the work and it's like, if you're doing comedy, they think that feels, or even drama, like that feels okay. But when you have to go into like that, that little bit of business that you just said, like the character has to jump over something and then they trip and fall and they, they let out a blood curdling. (laughs) Like oftentimes like that's the audition and you've got two feet of square feet of room to do that in for camera. (laughs) How do those auditions go for you? I mean, I've had, I've had, so many experiences. I was just talking about this today with my husband because he has an audition for something where he has to scream. And we were talking about it and, and, and I've had both experiences. Like, I think I'm better at it now because like I said, like I, I you know, I'm a little older and I just force myself not to care. I'm like, mm. just get in there and do it. You know, the script will be like, her leg is ripped off. The bone is exposed. And then it's me just being like, my leg. Ah! <laughs> you just start narrating. The, it's ripped off to the bone. It's really ripped off. <laughs> and so I'm just like, just go for it as hard as you can, because then it'll just be over and you did it and you went for it. But I've had experiences like when I was younger and I went in for a horror movie and in the audition, like the scene was like, she wakes up from being unconscious. She's in a dungeon surrounded by the corpses God. of the previously kidnapped girls, or like whatever, you know? And then it's me being like, oh my God, oh my God, like starting to panic or scream and cry. It's like, I do the scene. And the director is like, <clears throat> okay, do it again. But this time, dead bodies all around you. Like they're yeah. all around you. And I'm like, did I not? I thought I did that. Or they'll say, one of the things I think they'll say a lot, right, is, or they'll be like, can you do it again? But can you be even more scared? (laughs) Do you get that one a lot? Yeah. Well, yeah, I do get that. But to me, like the real, it really pisses me off when you just get like them telling you again, like more harder with what the plot is. Like I read the scene. I get it. Like there's a, like my my leg is ripped off. I, I get it. Like I, I didn't forget it. I, I did it so uh, you know but yeah more more scared yeah no more even more um i had an audition last year for something that i um like i was at being attacked by a shark and like i just i, I am always being cast afraid in water like if i go in for an audition and there's a body of water and i'm afraid like i'm just i know that I'm I'm gonna nail it. I just know I'm gonna do a good job. Right. Um. I I don't know what it is about me in the water and being afraid. Um. And I thought I was like doing so great, and then yeah, the director was like, okay, but like more, even more, more bigger. And by the end of it, I was just like on the floor flailing, like, <gasps> like kicking my leg. Like I flung a chair. You know, yeah. I didn't get. The- I think it's like also it's this thing in the business part of it where it's like you do that one th- like you were a mermaid in one movie so then the the takeaway is not like romantic com- she's great for romantic comedies the takeaway is like she's good with being in the water yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because after that I did so many movies in the water like last house on the left I played up a, a, a swimmer like a athlete swimmer um and I get shot in the water and like crawl, you know, through the lake. 
And then I did a, a, a shark horror movie called Shark Night, where I'm afraid in the water with sharks again. And um, wasn't there something else that I did in the water? I think I did something else in the water. I can't remember. But, oh, I, I, I'm just always being, like, waterboarded or, like, drowned, like, a captured or whatever, like, something in the water. Um, so. Yeah, it just seems thing. like... And, <laughs> Hollywood's takeaway it's like it's like they they choose the one thing from the thing that you did that like was not the important thing to what you want yeah. to do. It's just that maybe I'm a strong swimmer or something. Yeah, like, like she it. yeah. She <laughs> loves being in the water. Let's get her more water stuff. Um Yeah. And I'm not a very, very good swimmer, so the joke's on them. There you go. <laughs> okay, so you your husband, Zach Kreger. Kreger? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Congratulations. You you got married in October, you said. I did, yeah. Thank you. And um and you met working together? Is that how you met? Yeah, we met um in two thousand twelve we did this movie together, this indie comedy called The Bounce Back, um in Austin, Texas, and we met there and our characters were exes who despised each other but then end up getting back together at the end of the movie and it was so fun and one of like the best experiences I've had filming Austin is I just love it there everyone everyone does it's so great um and so we became friends and then like I knew I had a crush on him, but I, but we were hanging out as friends the whole time. Like nothing happened, just friends. And we came back to LA, and like we were still hanging out. And I was like, "What is the deal? Like, what, like, like, why are we hanging out so much? Like, is there something here? Like, what's is there something between us? Like, we're going to all these dinners all the time." And we were <laughs> you were going like, on dates, and you didn't realize you were going on dates. Yeah, I had no idea what was going on. I was like, "What is going on? Is this a date or not?" And then we were like at the valet waiting for our cars, and this like very intoxicated man like walked up and started like yelling at Zach and he was like whoa 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 buddy I'm on a date here can't you see and I was like that guy knows before me I'm like I want a date Um, wow (laughs) yeah and that was how it began (laughs) so that's how he let you know that this indeed was a date like that some intoxicated guy was coming up to (laughs) you and then he was like hey hey hey, buddy I'm on a date here no I don't know he was like he was having a this guy was having a rough night like i don't i don't know if he was like uh, he was out of his mind he just like he was talking to himself and like came up to start yelling at zach for some reason um i think he was i don't know but um he was (laughs) this guy was having a rough day and just started yelling and so zach was like whoa dude i'm on a date here and then he just like kept walking that's a very (laughs) smooth way for zach to let you know that he's interested in. He waited for the perfect moment to take it that next step of... I know. I'm like, what if he hired that guy? What if it's just like a UCB guy that just like, <laughs> you know... Was would just you like, believe... Really would Zach do stuff like that? No, no. No way. He didn't even understand why I was like, excuse me? And he's like, what? And I was like, a date? And he's like, oh, well, yeah. I was like, uh, 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 okay. I, That's very I sweet. I was very sweet. That's a no, really sweet moment. And you, so, yeah, yeah. so you, except for that poor guy who ended up probably I know. I hope face he's down okay, in the gutter somewhere. I know. He was having a rough one. Uh, he was having a rough um, day. RIP to that guy. Um, so yeah. you, so then you went on, so then Zach, Zach had done this show Wrecked, which is one of my, was one of my favorite comedies, I think of the last, maybe, I don't, I can't remember recent since in recent memory. It's such a, such a great show. He's great on it. And, it's so good, right? Oh, yeah. it's so good. And um, yeah. a very good buddy of mine, Will Greenberg, was also on that show. Um, 
and love I, him. Love him. And he they just had he and Nikki just had a their first kid. I know, I know. Congrats to them. Very exciting. They shot that series in Fiji. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the um, not the maybe pilot, the second season, right? Yeah, the pilot in the first season was in Puerto Rico, and then um, Zika hit, and I think oh, right. a lot of the cast felt uncomfortable. They didn't want to go there because of Zika, and so then uh, they moved production to Fiji for the second season. Yeah. Now you you guest starred on the series, correct? I did, yeah. They asked me to come in and um, play. Season two, they started doing uh, like background stories on each of the characters. You know, they get trapped on the island, yeah. and you start knowing more about them, their pat, their lives so, so before the island. Wrecked was this um, parody of kind of a parody of Lost, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, so one of the characters um, played by Brooke Dillman, who was so funny, they jump into flashbacks of her life and she like used to be in this Amish like cult or something and she escaped the cult. And so I play like one of the, one of her cult sisters and I was like in a bonnet and like a, uh, like an apron and like long outfit, like high necked outfit. And I'm like, sister, you know, sister Mary or whatever, like we, we can't escape. I'm like running through the cornfield and uh, it was really fun. It was cool. Huh. It was, I, was, huh? I was happy they asked me. To do yeah, that. totally. Well, and also then you get to spend a little bit of time together, the two of you. Now, what was that? What was Fiji like? I'm curious because Fiji is one of those places that I think a lot of folks think of as like, I don't know, like a sort of like Fiji only exists in the movies. Like it's this tropical <laughs> kind of like paradise. Of, like what, what, what was Fiji like? I think that to visit Fiji as a honeymooner or, you know, as you're on your vacay is a lot different than to work there. And I, and I, you know, I, whatever, I just worked for like a day. So I certainly am not, you know, the best person to speak to this, but every time I would visit, you know, the cast was like, they're working really hard. I mean, they're in the jungle. It's like, beyond hot it's so hot i mean people were the first season the first day they had to reshoot everything of that day because they were so unprepared for the level of humidity and heat people were dropping like flies left and right passing out vomiting into the bushes just like collapsing nobody was prepared nobody knew how hot it was going to be so by, by season two they were more prepared and and understood like how like really tough and dangerous that level of heat is um but uh it's i think like you know you're three months you're working like 15 hours a day in that heat they would all come home like bedraggled covered in dirt and like fake blood and then it's like yeah a honeymoon couple like kissing on their balcony like all romantic like in candlelight and so it's kind of like like a you know funny thing um but i loved it i mean are you kidding me for me the experience was perfect because i just went in i shot my two days and then the, i was there for like three weeks and i was just on vacation I, oh, the other, I was there with nikki me and nikki will's wife would just like sit by the pool every day like drinking rose you know lounging about <laughs> nice. while everybody else was like working off in the jungle somewhere um that's and great. so I loved it. I thought it was great. Was it there was a lot of it's, was it's there gorgeous. a lot of partying with that group of folks? I think there was a lot of partying going on. Once again, <laughs> I was at in the room, not You were? Home. Oh no, come on. You found some someone put a board game in your hand? 
Yes. I swear. Again, I think this is a theme for me. I'm not, I was not there for the partying. I was just like, I think I was watching like a, a documentary from Netflix, like in my room. Oh, come on. <laughs> for three weeks in Fiji. All right. Okay. All right. So we'll... well, the partying happens during the day in Fiji, you know, by the pool. So. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to going at some point. Did you did you have to do like when you're doing a flight like that? Is it are you doing like a Xanax and a glass of wine, or are you just what do you do on a long flight? You did that. You were down in Australia. You, when you take these incredibly long flights, how what, what's your do you like flying? I don't mind it. I mean, look, if you're, I mean, the perk of working is that you they they you're not paying for it. You know, yeah. they are flying you first class. So like last house on the left we filmed in south africa i flew like 35 wow. hours but it was all first class oh that was amazing are you kidding me like i would never get to experience that in real life ever you know if not for the production so i took every i took i take advantage of it i'm like i have a glass of wine they're like you want to get a foot massage i'm like hell yeah i'm like give me the hot towel you know <laughs> yeah. i'm like sunday hell yes i'll take the sunday any my mom is that I mean, ever since I was a little kid, she was always like, "You never say no." Like when they when you get on the plane <laughs> and they offer you the thing, you say yes, you take it. You always say you always say yes. So I'd just be like, "Yes." Like you want a second champagne? I'm like yes, yes. <laughs> like I just, it's like instilled in me now to just just take everything. Got it. I yeah, I like that attitude. Um, <laughs> so okay, so now you were we were talking about your sort of your, your teen movies and then we talked about your horror movies and now you're sort of moving into what would you call these are more, would you call these films that you're doing now a little bit more of the, of the adult variety? I think so. You, you did this. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. You did this Jason Reitman film called the front runner mm-hmm. starring Hugh Jackman. Um, and you had a very notable role in this film um, playing, playing the other woman. Is that right? Yeah, I played um, a woman named Donna Rice. That's who, right. It's 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 so weird. Uh, it's a really weird experience playing somebody who is alive and well and like can watch your performance right. and listen to you talk about them. So it always feels kind of strange. Like I hope I'm like doing it justice, talking you know about them for them about experience that they lived through actually. But. Um, yeah, I, I played Donna Rice, who was allegedly the other woman in the scenario. It was never admitted, it was never confirmed by either party, so we don't really know, but, you know. Oh, is that right? Oh, I didn't know that. So this is a story about a politician named Gary Hart, who, mm-hmm. ra- did he run for Congress in Colorado? Um, He was a senator, but he was, he was running he was, he was running for president. Oh, he, he was, was, he was running for president in 1988? Yeah, well, he ran. Oh my gosh, sorry, it's been so long since I've. I can't believe I don't remember this. I read every book on it, and you know, it was like my world for so long. Um, but I think he ran in '84. Like he didn't make it as he wasn't the Democratic nominee. You know, like he didn't make it that far. Um, but he was he was running for president in '84 and didn't get the nomination. And then he ran again in '88, and again, and then that's when the scandal hit, and um, he. He didn't. He wasn't the Democratic nominee again because of the scandal. So now this is at a time when a scandal like this—it was a sort of an extramarital affair scandal. Yeah. Again, like alleged because 
neither to this day neither one of them th- th- both of them claim it never happened so okay got it and so, yeah, this, so was alleged. this one of the first sort of kind of scandals of its type it was before all of the scandals involving bill clinton from jennifer yes. flowers to, all of those scandals so this was sort of uh, and this a, was the first time like we cared about it because it's not like it wasn't going on right you know? like it's not right. like it's not like presidents weren't having affairs it was just we overlooked it you know as a country we were like that's not important to us right now i mean look at hmm. you know whether we don't you know whether it's true or not like um JFK and you know Marilyn Monroe and all these rumors and whatever and it just wasn't something we cared about and so this was such a significant time because it was the very it was the very first time that we were like oh wait a minute we do care about this actually like what are the morals of the person who is going to be president and it changed everything now your decision to sort of not do an imitation of Donna Rice or, or to was this a decision that was made because the allegations were or that the the statements from from both of these two people were that this never happened was that part of your thinking in terms of you know sort of playing sort of a, a woman in this situation as opposed to the specific woman in the situation well I remember when I got the role like a lot of people were interested in meeting or talking to the the real life people uh i know that hugh was speaking with gary hart like a lot i think he went to go visit him on his ranch and he spent a lot of time with him and i i i remember i was talking about it with jason and we were like i was like well what you know what should i do should i speak to donna and we both decided that it was it was just more important that the story be authentic than like mimicking someone you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which I think would have gotten away from like what is was really important, which was like just showing people, you know, what 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 happened to this woman, and just like empathizing with her, like just like uh, feeling compassion for her situation was was the number one most important thing, and not like making sure that like I got her like cadence right or like whatever, you know. Um, so I think that's that was more important than just like really nailing the you know you know exactly exactly who she was. It's interesting because it's like if you do if you do go with like the imitation of the real person then you might end up in that territory of like is this making fun of this person or like the way that right. they speak or like you know the way that their hair was done in 1988 or whatever. And then, totally. And then you're sort of taking away maybe from so that instead you're sort of focusing on this the humanity of what it might feel like, what it might feel like to be in that position as a woman. 100%. Yeah, that's exactly how he felt. Like obviously for certain roles and certain people and characters like it's necessary, you know? Um and, you know, nobody does it better than the queen Meryl Streep, you know what I mean? Mm. She's, you know, I mean, bow down yes um yeah but but i felt like for this yeah i just wanted people to empathize with her and um just i thought i thought yeah i thought it was more important that um people yeah i I understood her story and uh, i think that you're right like sometimes it can feel like not a caricature it can feel like a caricature sometimes and kind of maybe the message wouldn't have been received as you know as clearly or something yeah 
that's interesting. That's a tough choice as an artist or as an actor in that situation to, yeah, to sort of navigate that. And you enjoyed navigating that process with, uh, with Jason Reitman. I did. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I'm such a big fan of his and I had auditioned for him for so many years, just like oh, wow. really wanting to work for him. I think I had, I've auditioned for like almost every single one of his films. And so I, I, when I was going in again, I was like, okay, I was like, I, I'm going to be reading for him again. You know, I'm like, I don't think he remembers me, but I, it's, it's important to me to do a good job. And then I, I, I already knew about the story and I already knew about Donna Rice. And so when I read the script, I was like, this is just clicking for me. Like I just can relate to this woman so much, even though I'm not, I've never been in that situation or situations are different. I think that all women can, can relate to, you know, people thinking that you are a certain kind of person and putting you in a box and then getting trapped in that box forever. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people in general can, can relate to that. So yeah. So when I went in and read for him, I was just really, I was excited. I was, I was so excited. I just, uh, he really has a way of like working with actors and speaking to actors that even in the audition room, I'm like, Oh, it just feels so like nice and, um, um, easy. That's great. And how about yeah. Hugh Jackman? That must have been, um, I would imagine, probably a great experience, right? He's one of the nicest people uh, I've ever met. Like, And to be that famous and be that nice is crazy. I mean, every day he was like passing out gifts to every single person in the crew. Um, every Friday, you know, he would he would bring everyone like candy and pass out things. And he would, uh, he was just so nice. Um, I was, I was, I was like really intimidated at first, just because I'm like, oh, holy shit, it's Wolverine! Like, oh yeah. my god! And he's like six five. He's like huge and like hulking, and um, he's just like the really the nicest, most down to earth um, person. It's, it's pretty amazing, and so hardworking too. I mean, just so like committed to what he does. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Yeah, that's well. That's great to hear. It's great to hear yeah. that you know that you can have such a great experience with somebody who has that amount of sort of um, power and that their charisma isn't just a a thing that they do. Yeah. That they turn yeah, on no. and off. If that, if it's, you know, cause it's like, you know, I, I, who knows? I think everybody we meet in the business, it's like you, you realize that this is either a thing that they do or, or it's, it's or it's who they are. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I feel like I've gotten pretty good about like sniffing that out. Um, yeah. Just after working with so many people, and I mean, I've been doing this for so long. I feel like I'm pretty good at like gauging that. And he's just really. I think I think he's that's just who he is. I think he's just a really nice guy. Yeah, maybe he's just a you know a fan as much as he is a movie star and everything else. It's like. If you love the what's fun about show business, you're able to yeah. Then you're just excited to be there. You're yeah. not pissed off. I think you're but... right. I think you're totally right, and I think that's what it was. He just always seemed. I remember like I'm doing this scene that didn't make it in the movie, and I'm like on the phone talking to him, and I'm like crying, and I'm like, where are where are you? Like, what's going on? Like when the scandal breaks, my character is like, what's going on? Like, why am I here? Da 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 da, and the big stars are never on the opposite end of the phone for the phone conversation. Like it's like eight 30 at night. 
we're doing this scene like last minute. It got pushed into the schedule, and I'm like, you know, crying on the phone, da da da. And they're never. It's. I mean, I'm sorry, but like a lot of times they're not there. It's just like yeah. somebody else reading the lines for you because he's his version isn't on camera, you know. Right. And I I get on the phone. We start doing the scene. And I'm like, oh my god. And I'm like, well, who is this? And he's like, it's Hugh. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's awesome. You came in like this late at night just to say two lines on the phone. He's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Wow. That's a great story. That yeah. is a really cool story about him. I was like, because I was like, who the fuck am I talking to right now? This guy sounds awfully like you, like, awfully lot like Hugh Jackman. And he's like, hey, it's me. I'm like, what? <laughs> where? I was like, where even are you? He's like, uh, undisclosed secret location. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's so great to hear. Um, yeah. All right, and so then you're now your next project um, is uh, this film Blonde, which is um, a uh, by Andrew Dominic, who's the writer director of Killing Them Softly and the mm-hmm. assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, and the movie yeah. that gave Eric Bana his big break, Chopper. Mm-hmm. He may be one of my favorite. Uh, uh, writer as, as same as I know Jason Reitman. So what is so Blonde is about Marilyn Monroe, but it's a fictionalized chronicle. Um, I don't really know how to explain. Yeah, like I wouldn't consider it like a biopic, biopic. However, you know, however, you want, tomato, tomato, however you want to say it. Um, but it does sort of like loosely follow her life from childhood to you know, the end. Um, and I play, um, I play her adoptive mother because, uh, I mean, if you know the life of Marilyn Monroe a little bit, um, her, her biological mom, um, I believe was, she was diagnosed with a mental illness and she was um, placed in a, like a home. Um, mm. I think she was institutionalized for most, for the rest of her life. When, when uh, Marilyn was a little girl and then when she, when she left, her mother never returned. And so she was placed in foster homes and, uh, you know, and um, passed along and you know, she had a very sad, very sad childhood. And so I play in the movie, her adoptive mother. Um, and, I can't really say if I'm a good person or a bad person, but um, you mean you're not allowed <laughs> to say at this moment, sort of thing. Well, I don't want to like give it away yeah, just because yeah. it's kind of it's kind of complicated. But uh, yeah. but I'm 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 I am and have always been a huge Marilyn Monroe fan, um, my whole life, ever since I was a little girl, and so. Like to be part of this movie, and and I'm, a, I'm I am a huge fan of Andrew Dominic as well. You know, one of my favorites uh, was like such a cool opportunity. Like I just can't, and I just can't. I can't wait to see Anna De Armas plays Marilyn. Yeah. And when I saw her like on set, and oh my gosh, the costumes and everything are just like amazing and to the T. Like just it's like she's come to life. It's it's pretty amazing. So. I cannot wait to see um, how the film turns out, and um, I think it's. I'm just. I think it's cool that I got to be a part of it. Oh yeah, totally. And it was one of these yeah. scripts, I guess, that had been around in Hollywood. There were a lot of people who were going to play Marilyn. Right. Yeah, I remember. You know, like I auditioned last year, and then I filmed last year. But I had originally auditioned for Marilyn like six years prior. 
like years wow. before. And then I was like, I was like, wait a minute, this never got made. Like, oh my gosh, wow. Um, so you know, I don't think. I mean, there's no. I could never. I, I don't think that I could play Marilyn, obviously. But um, I think that Anna just has killed it, and it's gonna be. It's gonna be so good. That's really exciting. And when do you do you know when that's coming out now? Or I don't. I don't know what's going. I mean, I'm I'm sure everything's maybe halted because of COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, like everything else. But I imagine in the winter of this year, because it's Netflix. And I, th- I think it is uh-huh. going to festivals. I think it is going to festivals. But I don't. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But because I don't even know what's going on with festivals. Like I. I know they're they're doing like Zoom for Toronto or something. They're doing um, some. I know they're doing online screenings. Yeah, right. For different, yeah. yeah, South by Southwest maybe did that. Yeah, I don't know, but I but I imagine uh, in the winter it'll come out. Yeah, well that's great. I'm excited to see that. Um, yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on and doing this show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always great chatting with you. Um, I'm excited to see what your what what's next for you, and I wish you continued success in addition to safety, good health. I hope you have a nice rest of your first year being married. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And same to you. Stay safe. Stay sane. You know, um, wear a mask. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Sarah Paxton. A big thank you again to Sarah for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with folks like Ryder Doyle, Tembi Locke, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker coming in the next couple weeks. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Dahlia Malik. She's one of my favorite comedians. She's also a human rights legal advocate and international human rights and refugee law expert. We talk about comedy festivals, living in the UK, doing comedy in a pandemic, and playing comedy shows in the Middle East. Here now is me talking with the hilarious and brilliant Dahlia Malik. So you recently moved to LA, is that right? Yeah, I've always like, I grew up in Southern California, but I've like my parents live nearby, so whenever I'm unemployed, I wind up back here. If I'm ever in Southern California, it means I'm unemployed. <laughs> how, how are your folks doing? They're doing well. That's good. Um, how are you enjoying uh, settling back in to Southern California? Um, it's been I've you know I'm in a new apartment with my new panic puppy that I got during quarantine. So it all feels really new, even though I'm familiar with the area. Um, and I'm not used to there being a pandemic either. So it's like a, a new take on something familiar. <laughs> so you, you, you just got Cisco, your, your puppy dog, who's a very handsome guy. Um, <laughs> what was, have you ever had a dog before? Or is this the first time? I had a dog when I was a kid. So I think we got him when I was about nine years old. 
So he he was kind of my dog, but he wasn't really my responsibility because I wasn't an adult. So, <laughs> um, it's so little, we had one dog. It's a little up, different now. This is my first like my dog. That's my <laughs> responsibility. <laughs> I bet he's been great company. Has he? He's yeah. He's been a handful, but he's been great for this situation. I got him in March. Like I panicked immediately. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> My parents were stranded in Egypt from March until May. They took a family trip. Um, we're from, my family's from Egypt. So, um, oh, you knew that. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> for anyone who's listening that doesn't know that, uh, my parents took a trip and then because international travel was halted, they wound up staying there for way longer than planned. So I was just like in their house alone, freaking out. So I was like, I can't do this dog list. So I got him <laughs> towards the end of March <laughs> and... Yeah, he's he's such a handful that he keeps me distracted from reading the news. So that's a big help right now. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, so you and I, we know each other from the the so-called indie comedy scene. Um, mm-hmm. And you were on a comedy benefit show at the Virgil that we did to support a wonderful organization called Miri's List. Um, I wanted to try to list your credits again because I tried to do it from the <laughs> stage and I feel like I got it a little inaccurate, but... You have such an impressive... You made me sound really good. <laughs> I tried like, to do that. Tone down the expectation. <laughs> I'm going to try again because your comedy CV is so impressive. So here goes. You can please, please correct me if I get this wrong. Um, your comedy has been featured in Vulture, Teen Vogue, USA Today, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Paste, Hoo Ha Ha, Vox, Fast Company, and Funny or Die. <laughs> You've been interviewed for articles in The Washington Post and New York Magazine. You've also performed in multiple comedy festivals, including SF Sketch Fest in consecutive years, 2018, 2019, and 2020. And you've done multiple Edinburgh Fringe Comedy Festivals. Am I right so far? I think so. I just realized you're looking at my website that I haven't touched in a really long time. Um, <laughs> um, I think I was interviewed by Teen Vogue because sometimes I have okay. my like human rights hat on and sometimes I have my comedy hat on. So right. I think Teen Vogue might have been the um, the human rights hat. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I want to get to that, too. Um, the human rights stuff. So those yeah. are just selected credits. Last year, you also did the Cairo Comedy Festival. Yeah. In fact, the first you've... ever one in Egypt. You what? It was the first ever comedy festival in Egypt, yeah. It was the inaugural uh, comedy, just period, festival in, in, in all of Egypt? Yeah. Um, oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think they also did one right after. It was, I believe it was the same producer, but then they did one in Alexandria. And um, I don't know if it's going to be like an annual thing because... Uh, this year is falling apart, but yeah, um, that's kind of how we felt yes. with the show that we did because we wanted to do it annually this year. It's uh, there's something about like because we were do- doing a Middle Eastern centric sh- comedy show, and there's something about I feel like when you do it online, that kind of defeats some of the purpose because it's kind of nice to show up in public when you're doing yeah. one of those, particularly in the states or in a lot of places. Um, yeah. That's in- I didn't know that that was the inaugural. Uh, comedy festival in Cairo um I mean you I've heard and heard like folks like Basim Yusuf being interviewed about what what it means to have a comedy career in Egypt um and other parts of the Middle East where then sometimes people get just disappeared 
right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, how was that experience then? I, like, was that, how did it go? It was so much fun. Um, I did the English speaking show. They had a bunch of shows and I think all of them were in Arabic except for the night that I did. Um, I speak Arabic, but not good enough to like express my personality, like my comedy personality. Um, okay, in Arabic. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I did the English night. It was super fun. Um, I was a little nervous. Like I had written, they basically like doubled my stage time really close to the night. And I was like, for some reason, I thought I had to do clean material just because I was in the Middle East. I don't know. But uh, like, I was like, I need to write this week <laughs> so I wrote like this whole new set and I was nervous about it because a lot of it was new and I was like how long can I stay clean for <laughs> yeah. but then it just it turned out to be fine like everything went really well it was a really supportive audience um I feel like I was a little overkill with thinking that I needed to be clean like I was I I just did it for the sake of it but I don't think I really needed to do a clean set that night but yeah it was great there were these dudes who were in like really conservative Islamic garb and I was like these guys are gonna hate me in my stupid like pink Nike shirt that I'm wearing <laughs> and then like they were the ones laughing the hardest so it was great they were oh my god it was all it was wonderful yeah I was a, really surprised and yeah what a wonderful and cathartic experience yeah um you've toured internationally in festivals clubs and theaters all over the U.S. U.K. Ireland Canada and Egypt um, it must be nice to travel internationally for work, but I wonder, is it ever a glam glamorous experience touring as a, as a comic? <laughs> uh, yeah, I get to fly first class and uh, stay in a really fancy hotel. No, I, I think the best thing I've ever been offered as a comedian was this festival I did in Ireland. It was an outdoor festival, and they said that I could camp for free on their performers' <laughs> campgrounds. Oh and my like, God. I'm extremely old. I don't sleep on the ground. So I was, I said, no, I passed. <laughs> yeah. I don't sleep but on the ground either. It's like the nicest thing I've ever been offered. <laughs> you so can sleep funny. on the ground for free. <laughs> Do you, would you trust the Irish to be just sleeping out in some like yard <laughs> field in, in Ireland? I wouldn't trust Ireland itself because it rained like, five times <laughs> oh my gosh yeah <laughs> i've actually done that in england before i forgot about that i did actually camp i started comedy in my 20s i feel like i was a younger different person and i was more okay with like roughing it yeah <laughs> but yeah i slept on the ground for one of those festivals and it did rain and the tent leaked yeah oh no that no um <laughs> do, you, do you ever go nights where you like an entire night with no sleeping just in life? Cause that's happened to me a couple of times. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> You're like a lot of people go through that club. Um, I just don't handle it as well anymore. Like it shatters me now. It just ruins me. <laughs> it, yeah. Me too. Um, so you and I, we both spent uh, different amounts of time in the UK. Did you know that I lived there as well for a period of time? Oh, I don't think I did. I was actually born there. Oh, wait, I did know that. I knew you were born there. Um, I just forgot. <laughs> now, you were there. I was there for parts of high school. You were there, uh, as I understand. So you were getting a PhD in human rights law with a focus on forced migration. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so that was from 2000. 
2011 until 2015. So it's about four and a half years. You're actually the second comedian who I've interviewed for this podcast who got a law degree. Um, it feels like the world needs both, both human rights lawyers and laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that there are points where the t- those two professions intersect? I Your guess career. when you're an academic, um, you have to speak in front of people a lot, and that used to just scare the shit out of me. Can I say shit on this? Um, yes, you can. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then I started doing comedy, and it just got a lot better. I'm, I'm still scared talking in front of people, like academic audiences, because I'm worried that they might ask me a question and I won't know the answer. But I'm not as worried about like what my face looks like or whatever, or the way I'm standing, if that makes sense. So but, yeah, it helps oh, with okay. public speaking. That was a roundabout way of saying that. So it's like you're okay. I, I really like that distinction though. So it's sort of like you're worried more about what they're going to think of your brain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to find out that it's not that great. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've always thought like I'm smart enough to know that I'm not that smart. Mm-hmm. But um, so you were a doctoral candidate when you started pursuing comedy. Yeah. I mean, the, you found the time, I guess, to do it, to do both. Yeah, I I just hated everything about my life at that point. Like, my program was really disappointing, and um, it got better, but um, it just wasn't what I expected. Yeah. And um, I don't know. There was just a lot of depression and imposter syndrome, and it was kind of dry and boring. So I think that was what pushed me to do something that felt really different from what my current life was. Did, were you in um, London or were you in Manchester? I was in London. You were? Okay. Did the did you like the, the English while you were there? <laughs> oh, that's such a loaded question. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> they... Listen, <laughs> they colonized my country, yeah. and I don't forgive them for that, right. but they are the best when it comes to just cynicism and mm. <laughs> hating life. I feel like they're my people in a way. Um, I really like English comedy audiences, even though it's harder to make them laugh. Um, mm. I just think that there's a lot more gallows humor and in just everyday interactions with the English. And I think that's such a wonderful thing. Sure. Well, they had, they have a lot of gallows, the English. <laughs> There's a part on the subway, as I recall, on the tube, the underground, where like when you're right, your ears will clog up because you're going underneath, I think, an enormous burial ground of people who, maybe the Tower of London, where everybody got buried after being beheaded. <laughs> Do you ever experience that? Is that is that what the situation is? I didn't I didn't know that. So I think I if I had I would just be dwelling on that the whole time. <laughs> sure, it's a it's an interesting thing to dwell on. You that was I I'm pretty sure that that's true. There's a there's a section of subway that's underneath uh I think that goes underneath the Tower of London. I could be wrong about where this is, but your ears will block for that period of time because I don't I don't know why the density of the the ground or whatever is it's filled with um 
with dead people. <laughs> so the ghosts enter your brain through your ears. <laughs> That's right. I Got mean, luckily, it. the thing about the tube, at least when I was there, is that you could be you could drink on the subway. I don't know. I say luckily. That might not be everybody's perfect situation, that people are getting on <laughs> with, with alcohol, like on top of everything else. Um, was that true when you were there? Were they still drinking on the subway? I don't know if it was legal, but people were definitely doing it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that I, that I found in the UK where, like, it's not sure. Nobody's sure if this is legal, but people are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting served as a teenager at the pub regularly without needing really to show, I don't re really recall needing to show ID. Yeah, same here. Because I, I did a few like study abroad programs before actually living in London. So I had been going back and forth to the UK a lot like since I was 19. So I, I remember being 19 and drinking. I guess it is still legal, but I probably looked like I was 12 when I was 19 and nobody asked me for ID. <laughs> right. Um, so you have a running bit about not being a rapper. <laughs> People online love to ask you about your, I guess, remixes, your features and collabs. And you continue to respond emphatically that you are not a rapper. So I guess my first question is, why aren't you a rapper? <laughs> first of all, it's not a bit. I am actually not a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not a rapper because I never became one and I would never become one. That sounds absolutely terrifying and terrible. Um, I have a friend who is a rapper and I told him that I associate like the physical act of rap uh, with drowning and I don't know how to swim. I'm just like, I don't understand how you control your breathing enough to not suffocate <laughs> while you're doing all of that. And I would never even try it. That's ridiculous <laughs> that's incredible that you're concerned like one of your chief concerns is like with the idea of circular breathing while <laughs> while rhyming yeah i mean it's not the only reason i'm not a rapper but it's <laughs> it's one of many <laughs> um so uh you currently run the interruption show where the host interrupts a comedian's set to ask burning questions <laughs> so where did this idea for this show come from um, a few years ago, I did a show where there was zero audience and, um, I had to go out of town for it. So I'd driven all this way. And, um, I always say it was like this, like my excuse for the producer is it was a beautiful day. And if I was a person like a regular person, I would not want to be cooped up in the back room of a bar. I'd want to be outside. So I understand like it was a beautiful day and nobody wanted to watch comedy that day. So it was yeah. just me and the other comedians and we still went ahead with it. And it was kind of, it just became a workshop, almost like an open mic, I guess. We started running through material and somebody said something crazy and I wish I could remember what it was, but he said something insane and then just moved on to like his next bit. And I just raised my hand and I was like, excuse me, what happened after that? Because you just dropped a huge bombshell on everybody. And then um, that sort of, he, he just like launched into this amazing story and it got a lot of laughs and... Um, I, I was just like, we kind of did that for the rest of the night and it just became really casual and loose. And I think people found tags for their jokes and stuff. So I was like, something like this should be a show. I think yeah. um, it kind of makes comedians looser and they, they run into things that they haven't said on stage before. And um, it helps with writing. And it's always funny because it's comedians. So 
the way that they tell whatever it is, whatever story they're telling, it, it winds up coming out in a funny way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Has anyone, has it backfired ever? Like, I mean, I guess it's pretty clear what people are getting into, <laughs> but I, I think the thing, I was on a show that did a similar thing once where I don't think I knew that that was going to happen, mm -hmm. but I went last. So what I observed was like, everybody was figuring out like, oh shit, like how do we deal with this? And some people freaked out at the hosts and you know we're like why don't you shut the fuck up like i'm trying to do my fucking you know or whatever but i mean i think with yours it's pretty clear up front has anyone just come on and not really understood what was going to happen or like after an interruption couldn't get through the rest of their set or not really yeah i think some people are definitely better on their feet than others some people are so accustomed to sticking to the script that it does make them very nervous to have to deviate from it and yeah. i try to make people as comfortable as possible like I'm trying to ask questions that people know the answers to. Like, it's just something from your life. So it's not like a trick question or anything. You don't have to be clever. Um, but it might come out in a clever way. I don't know. Um, yeah. The other thing that sometimes happens, um, it's not, it doesn't happen a lot, but every once in a while we'll accidentally, like the co-host and I might accidentally step on a punchline or like predict a punchline by asking a question where it's like, yeah, that was what I was going to say next. Um, <laughs> right. But it's usually just... It's all in good fun. <laughs> now, you've taken that show online. I've talked to some other comics about um, transitioning their live stage uh, shows online. Um, I did one the other day. It's cathartic, I think, for us as comics. Um, and I guess also we sort of we get to bypass having to deal directly with a lot of creepy people, maybe. <laughs> Would you agree? That's true. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. I mean, there's still Zoom bombing. That's a thing, but... Has that happened with your shows? It hasn't happened with my show, but I just... I don't use Zoom, and I think that's why I don't invite audience into mine, because <laughs> I have no trust. But I've done other people's shows, and I just had my first Zoom bomber on Saturday. <laughs> so what happens? Like, somebody just comes on and just starts saying, like, Baba Booey or, or worse, or... <laughs> In in this case, they were playing like a soundbite or a video or something. So they kept trying to find like relevant, somewhat relevant stuff to whatever the comedian was talking about. And then they play like a sound clip off their computer. It was relatively pretty benign because I've heard of people just coming on and jerking off on camera. Oh my and God. I think that's a thing that happens like <laughs> more frequently than we would want it to. <laughs> but that so far, that has not happened to me. Well, that's good. Um... Yeah, that's horrifying. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you, are, so you, are you enjoying otherwise, though? Do you, do you feel like this online format is, well, do you think like this will become a permanent second place, second venue? Well, hopefully, if everything else starts, like this pandemic starts to get figured out. Do you think the pandemic um, is ever going to get figured out, I guess, maybe? I don't think it's ever going to be figured out in America. It, like, New yeah. Zealand is back to life. Um, <laughs> I, I think everyone's going to move on except for this country. But... Um, I honestly don't really want this to continue. I don't know if that's like an unpopular opinion, but I think this online thing has its silver linings, but I hate this. <laughs> you do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you want to still, you want to get back to dealing with people in real life. Well, I wouldn't frame it that way. <laughs> <laughs> do you generally like people? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you raise a, an excellent point. <laughs> that's another, um, pro in the pros and cons list yeah. of online comedy but <laughs> i just um 
it i like the fact that i can see my friends again it, this is yeah. keeping me sane it feels like hanging out but there's i'm having a hard time putting my finger on what it is that upsets me about all this but it's the fact i think i'm tired of seeing people's homes in their background <laughs> i think that's what it is do you like, just want to be I, like clean your shit up I just feel like it's too familiar. I, I think that should yeah. be reserved for, I should know what your house looks like if you're my friend. <laughs> right. But I don't know. There's just, your home is where you get ready to like put your figurative mask on and go out into the world. And I just want to see like the final product. I don't want to see like the place where you get ready. Does that make sense? <laughs> I think in certain contexts, it feels weirder to me than others. In some cases, it's been, I think, a little bit, it's been charming. But um, <laughs> but certainly, like, if somebody, like, yeah, I feel like you don't want to be concerned for somebody if you see, like, a bottle of hot sauce, like, broken all over their floor. And, like, <laughs> you don't want to start to, you don't have to worry for someone, I guess. <laughs> um, it's just the familiarity of it that bothers me. I don't know. It's too much. I don't yeah. want to be invited into your home if it's like a job interview, you know, <laughs> or oh, if it's absolutely. like a professional setting, whether that's comedy or outside of comedy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so uh, finally, wh so where can people find you online? I'm Dahlia on Twitter, D-A-L-I-A. -A, and on Instagram, I'm Dahlia Malik, D-A-L-I-A-M-A-L-E-K. And DahliaMalik.com. Cool. I think that's all I use. Nice. Well, yep. Dahlia, you're one of my favorite comics. Um, thank you thank so you. much for coming on and chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. Dum, 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 dum. To everyone out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this eighth episode, I want to say, holy moly, thank you for listening. Give us a subscribe and those sweet high star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. Stay tuned, because we've got just two more episodes left in Season 1, including some of my favorite interviews with Ryder Doyle, Tembi Locke, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our series graphics editor is Dan Olszewski. I spilled coffee all over my computer a week ago. Um, it's the worst... I should not be trusted around technology. I'm embarrassed. I haven't done that in my entire life except for twice this year on the same computer. Spilled, I think, beer on it, and then I spilled coffee on it. Things are going great for me. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.